How are we all doing? All right. This morning we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew, and we've reached the final third of the book now. All right, so we've done two thirds of Jesus' story, and we've come into the last third, which is the most significant part of the story. And uh, this week, I heard a quote which I thought was really interesting. Um, it's by a guy called, who's uh, got a lovely name. He's called Adrian Rogers. Good, solid name. He spells his surname wrong, but we'll let him off. But he says this. He says, cut the Bible anywhere and it will bleed. The blood of Jesus stains every page. And that's so true, you know, the whole Bible points towards Jesus, all right? This whole book is about him on every single page. He's unmissable throughout the whole Bible. It's all about Jesus, and um, it, it all points towards him. It all talks about him in the future. It all talks about the need for Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus. So just because we're focusing on the Gospels, I don't want you to think that that's the only part of the Bible that's about Jesus, okay? This whole thing is his story. We're just focusing on his acts and his deeds in the book of Matthew. So let's get straight into it this morning. Why don't you turn to Matthew 17 for me? We're going to start reading from verse 1. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, why then do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Brilliant. So loads to get through there. Um, and before I start, you might not know this, but before I was a Christian, when I was in year 10 at school, I actually did a GCSE in Mark's Gospel. Can you believe that was a thing? I did one half of my religious studies GCSE was a study of the Gospel of Mark. God was doing something in my life clearly because I wasn't a Christian, but there I was studying this gospel as part of my GCSE. And I remember hearing this story about the transfiguration uh, in, 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 my, in my RE lesson, and I thought, that is such a weird story. I was like, what a weird thing to happen. And then what made the story even weirder is that it was never mentioned again. So a few years later, I became a Christian. I never heard anything else about this transfiguration. I remember when I was doing youth work, we were planning this session for the kids, and we were calling it the highlights of Jesus' life. And the idea is that we'd go through and we'd pick out some of the highlights of uh, Jesus' life and we'd teach it to the young people. And I said to my colleague, well, what about the transfiguration? And she sort of looked at me and she was like, 
never even heard that story. So I was like, what? And then even to this day, I've never heard a, a sermon in church about the transfiguration. Never heard one. Although, Jeremy Simpkins last year at Devoted Online did speak about this, but I didn't listen because it was online, and online church is rubbish, right? <laughs> Sorry for all of you who like online church, you are wrong. Okay, so, <laughs> with that bit of background, let's get into our story today. What's going on? Well, I haven't done this in a while, but we've got three points for you today, all right? Three helpful things for you to remember, and they all begin with the letter R. All right, so if you've got your pens and paper, you might want to uh, make a note here. We've got realization, we've got reflection, and we've got response. Okay, those are three things I'm going to pick out of this story. But let's unpack it. So Jesus takes his inner circle of disciples with him, and uh, these are the guys that Jesus is closest to. All right, so he's got his 12, he's got his followers, and then he's got this inner circle, these three guys who he's closest to and he, he trusts them the most. These guys got special access to Jesus. And just a little note here, by the way, who do you spend your time with? Who do you spend your time with? Do you have friendships that are close where you can be vulnerable with them? Do you have those people who get a lot of access to your time who help you to grow in your walk with God? Do you have those good, solid, robust Christian friendships? Like, it's good to have a lot of friends, definitely. But it's also really important to have that close inner circle of people who can help you to grow, people who can influence you. Listen, the people that you spend most time with influence you the most, and vice versa. So if you don't have those close relationships, those close Christian friendships, can I encourage you to do it? Model Jesus here. Anyway, that's a side note, all right? So Jesus takes his inner circle and he goes up a mountain. Now, a bit of geography for you here. This mountain is likely a mountain called Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in the Middle East, about 3,000 meters tall. If you visited it today, you'd find snow on top of it, and you can go skiing and snowboarding there. It's found between modern-day Syria and Lebanon. So it's a really big mountain. The point is this. This was a significant location, it would have taken Jesus a while to get there. It would have been a bit of a trip to travel to this location with his disciples. He would have had to take a bit of a hike up the mountain. It would probably have taken them a few days to travel it. Jesus was making a trip out of this little event. He wanted this time with his disciples to show them and teach them significant things. This was a teaching opportunity. I can imagine Jesus and his disciples walking and talking and the disciples just learning from Jesus as they walked up this mountain. Do you know, it reminds me of a few years ago when I was very new into leadership. I used to go on these walks with Raj all the time and we'd walk for miles and he'd be teaching me about leadership and telling me about the church and telling me all the mistakes that he'd made and all the lessons that he'd learned. And I'd be kind of like a sponge soaking it up, like just trying to learn as much as I could about what it meant to be a leader. There's something about walking and talking, isn't there, that helps you to learn. It's uh, a really, really important thing. So then th we get um, to the top of this mountain, then we see the main event of this story, where in verse 2 it says, there in front of them, Jesus transfigured before them. Jesus transfigured. What on earth does that mean? Well, to transfigure means to transform or take on a new appearance, Okay. To, to transform or take on a new 
appearance. So think about it like this. My little one, Eden, has been learning about butterflies at school recently and caterpillars. Think about a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, all right? It, it's in a new form, isn't it? It comes out, it takes on a new form. It transfigures, okay? The word transfigure means it's different to how it was before. And that's what's happening with Jesus here. Jesus is different to as he was before. He's appearing in a different form. His clothes become dazzling white, and we see that his face shone like the sun. He's taken on a new form. And interestingly, we see a similar description of Jesus found in the book of Revelation. All right, so Revelation 1, this is John writing. He says this, he says, The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. That's from the book of Revelation. That's a similar sort of picture of Jesus. This was a glimpse. This was a foretaste. This was almost a a picture of the future. They were seeing in front of them the real Jesus. That's what the disciples were seeing, the real Jesus. See, something was happening here. Jesus wanted them to get the significance of this moment. It was like he was giving them a glimpse behind the scenes. He was showing them the bit that no one else sees. He was taking his inner circle, his trusted people, and he was showing them the glory of God. They were seeing the presence of God. He he was making sure that they were well aware that this wasn't just another prophet or another teacher or another nice person. This was God himself. It was a powerful moment of realization. And it was a significant moment as well. See, I believe that Jesus was doing something significant in this story. He was equipping Peter and James and John, who would become influential in the early church. This was a moment of equipping for these guys. Jesus was showing them an encounter with the presence and the glory of God, a a realization of who God is, and an encounter with him will set you up for a life serving God. When you encounter Jesus, you are set up and equipped for all that he calls you to do. All right, you need to get that this morning. It's so true, isn't it? Think about this story in the book of Acts about the conversion of Saul. You might know it. It's a guy called Saul who would later become Paul. He encounters Jesus. He encounters God. He has a realization of who God is, and it changes everything for him. It leads to a complete change of who he is. He, he, he then goes to serve God. He goes from being the most strict Jew, an anti-Christian, to becoming one of the most influential voices in the New Testament. And what did that? It was an encounter with the presence and the glory of God. That changed everything for him. He had that realization. Let me ask you, do you ever think about that moment in your life? Do you ever think back to that moment, that moment when you encountered God, when you got the realization of who he was? It changes things. And you know what, what's significant here is, this isn't just about recognizing that Jesus is Lord. It's not just recognizing Jesus is Lord, because Peter did that in the last chapter. We heard about that from Chris last week. No, no, this was something different. This was experiencing his presence, experiencing his tangible presence. So it's not necessarily to uh, get you to think about the moment you became a Christian. 
This is, think about the moment when you encountered him. When the penny dropped and it was like, wow, this is Jesus. Do you remember that moment in your life? Do you remember the change it made? Like, I remember the moment when I experienced God's presence in me. I, I was filled with his Holy Spirit. It, it changed things for me. I'd been a Christian for a few years. I'd been going along to church. I'd been trying to live a good life, you know. I'd, I, I was trying to do things right. But then something changed. I encountered him in a personal way. I was filled with his spirit, and it changed everything. Suddenly, I realized there was more to my walk with God than just trying to do the right thing. There was more than just attending church. Suddenly I realized I had a a part to play in all of this. I had gifts that God had given me and wanted me to use. I had a passion to tell other people about him. And I think this is the sort of experience that the disciples would have had when they saw Jesus transfigured before them. And they've seen the real Jesus. And it was that realization that would sustain them for a life serving Jesus and all that came with it. Because it was tough for these guys. It was tough for the early Christians. But this moment sustained them. And we know that it was influential because we see Peter and John both refer to it later on in their writing in the New Testament. We've talked about um, John, but then Peter in 2 Peter 1, he talks about being an eyewitness to the majesty. This is an influential moment. So my question for you is, have you had that experience? Have you experienced Jesus in that real and tangible way? If you haven't, you can, and it'll change your life. It really will. You might be new to Christianity. Let me tell you, there's more for you. You might have been in church for years, and you've just kind of been going with it. There's more for you. You can experience the presence of Jesus. Maybe you've experienced it in the past and things have gone a little bit stale for you. There's more for you as well. We're going to pray at the end and have an opportunity to kind of um, encounter God this morning in, in, in a fresh way. Okay, let's move on with our story. See, we see something even more bizarre happening as the story goes on. See, as if Jesus going full brilliant white mode wasn't enough, we get this next little interaction in verse 3. It says, just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So not only do we have Jesus appearing in a different form, we also have two dead guys appearing too. Like, no wonder this story isn't talked about in church, right? Like, there's a lot of weird goings on here. And, of course, Moses and Elijah are guys from the Old Testament. And there's a number of reasons why they might be there. But let me give you my favorite of the theories. And I need a couple of helpers to help me, okay? So, uh, Val, come, can you come up for me, please? I want you to be our Moses. And Jude, I know you're listening because you're looking at your phone. You can come up and you can be our Elijah. So, <laughs> up you come, mate. Come on. Don't make me drag you. Otherwise, you must have come up and we don't want that. Okay. Come on, so we've got Val. Val's representing um, Moses, and Jodie, you'll have to get off, I'm afraid. Um, Val is our health and safety consultant, okay? She likes rules and regulations, all right? That's why we've got the cage here at the front, okay? Val is all about rules, and she represents Moses, who he represented the law in the Old Testament, the law given to the Jewish people, the rules they had to follow to be made right with God. And Jude over here, Jude likes to talk a lot, believe it or not. He never stops talking. 
walk in. So um, Jude, or Jody, is going to represent Elijah, who is the prophet, okay? He represents the prophets, the mouthpiece, okay? The ones who came to warn the people about God, all right? So here we had the law and the prophets. We had the old way of doing things, and then we had Jesus as well. We had the Messiah there. It was as if it was saying, this is the old way of being made right with God. This is the old way of having access to God, but actually... Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> That's right, Jude is meant to be there. This is the old way, but then we also had Jesus the Messiah, the new way of doing things. It was no longer about the law and the prophets, but it was about the Messiah. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. It was about the Messiah. Here, they had Jesus, the, the Messiah, the one who was going to provide the real answer to humanity's needs. And this is just another way of God confirming that Jesus really was the real deal. It was like he was saying, all of these things that happened before, all of these things, this old way of doing things, forget about that. You need to follow the better way. You need to follow Jesus. This was a huge, interesting moment. And then we get to my favorite part of the story, which involves Peter doing what Peter does best, and that is making a complete fool of himself. All right. Peter like, likes to put his foot in his mouth a lot. He likes to make a fool of himself. And I like Peter because I can resonate with him a little bit. Like, I often make a fool of myself, as you know, and say the wrong things at times. And Peter made a whole career out of doing that. So what does he do? He says um, in verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Like, really? Really? You've seen Jesus in his real form? You've seen dead guys? You think it's good, really? He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What? What is he talking about? This is the most significant moment of his life. He's literally seeing the glory of God in front of him. He's seeing two of the most influential guys in history stood there as well, and he's talking about making tents. He wants to turn it into a little campsite. He wants to turn it into butlins or something. What is going on? Like, why are you talking about building tents, man? Enjoy the presence of God and stop trying to work. Stop trying to do something. And there's an important lesson in this for us, you see. Because Peter was desperate to act. He wanted to do something. But this was a time for worship and attention, and reflection. That's our second R this morning. See, the reality was that Peter would go on and do amazing things. He was literally called the rock that Jesus would build his church on. It gives us all hope, doesn't it, by the way? If this guy could be the rock, then we've all got a part to play, right? He was used for amazing things, but um, before that, before this mighty work, before God would use him, there needed to be this period of worship and detention and reflection. And this was that moment. This wasn't a time to work. This wasn't a time to do anything. And it's so true, you know. So think back to Paul I talked about earlier. Paul had this conversion when he went from being Saul to being, being Paul. And then he spent a good period of time with God, up to three years, I believe, in the desert, learning, praying, worshipping, being in God's presence, reflecting on what had happened, paying attention to God. Listen, we need to regularly have that time where we uh, reflect on who 
God is when we learn from him, when we listen, when we pay attention. And look, there are times, obviously, to get out and do things. I 100% agree with that. Like, it's in my personality, I prefer to get out and get things done. But there are also times when we just need to listen and pray and pay attention to God. And sometimes just worship him. Take time to do that. Don't always feel that you've got to be doing something. There are times where you need to sit back. We don't all have to do what Peter did. We don't all have to feel like we've got to work all of the time. But we often do. That's why this is in the story. That's why this is here. Because it shows that's a lot of our reaction to God. We feel like we've got to do something. We don't. Do you know, I, I do find this hard to say because I do like to get things done. Like, if you ever wonder how our eldership team functions in church, I like to get things done. Like, I like to tick lists. I don't like to think and talk pray i like to pray but i don't like to like think about stuff let's get it done let's tick boxes let's buy a building let's do this i want to do it all but the other guys bring a bit of balance okay so i need to hear this message as much as anyone sometimes we've got to reflect sometimes we've got to worship sometimes we've got to be equipped So, Peter looks a bit silly, and then the story continues in verse 5. They hear a voice from heaven. It says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Sound familiar? This is almost word for word what was spoken over Jesus at his baptism. And it's a further reminder in case the disciples needed it that this was the son of God. This wasn't just another spokesperson. This was his son who he was well pleased with. And I just want to pause on that for a second. What does this voice from heaven say? It says, listen to him. Listen to him. It's pretty good advice that, you know. It was good advice back then because it was confirmation for the disciples to follow his teaching and do what he says. But it's even better advice for us today. Listen to him. Hear his voice. The Bible says that my sheep will know my voice. That's Jesus talking. Learn to hear his voice and follow his lead. Every decision, every moment, be prompted by Jesus. Try and hear what he might be saying to you. It could be about your life choices. It could be about your career or about your family. Hey, he could even be speaking to you about this church and what his plans are for this church. Learn to hear God's voice. Listen to him. All right. Did I put it up there in big? Yes, listen to him. All right. You can't miss that one. So as we get towards the end of this passage, we see some questions from the disciples about what it all means, obviously. It was quite a confusing scenario. And they were asking about the significance of Elijah. And I don't want to get into this now because um, it take a long time to unpack it, but it's maybe something to discuss in your midweek groups, all right? There's so much depth in the Bible, we can't do it all on a Sunday morning, but yeah, discuss that and, and chat through it this week in your groups. But what I would say is there is something in the end of this story about response. There's something about response. See, Jesus is saying in verse 12 that Elijah, or the equivalent of someone to prepare the way for the Messiah, uh, had come. And he'd come in the form of John the Baptist. But the people didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize him. And then Jesus goes on to say that he himself 
is going to suffer at their hands. It's going to be a response to Jesus' arrival, which is negative. And Jesus is making a resp- uh, the, the point here that not everyone who encounters Jesus is going to have the correct response. Do you get that? We have a choice to make about how we respond to Jesus. Will we let the disciples in this story recognize him and take comfort and assurance from that? Will we let the realization of who Christ is and the experience of his presence shape us and guide us? Or will we reject him? Or worse, will we miss him completely? Let me tell you, you can be sat in church for years and years and years, and you can miss Jesus. You can miss his presence. You can miss his glory. You can sit here every Sunday. You can nod at the right times, and you can even put your hands up in the worship, and you can miss Jesus. What's your response going to be? See, like Peter and the disciples, the realization of who Jesus is, that should lead to a response in us. In their case, it was to be equipped for a future serving him. To know that life isn't going to be easy for them as they led in the early church, but to know that God was with them. That assurance led to a response to go all in. And that was my story too. Do you know, as soon as I realized who Jesus was, as soon as I'd had that um, encounter with him and I'd got the significance, I had to go all in. I had to say, God, I'm going to give my whole life to you and do whatever you want me to do. Going on all in means living your life for him, being led by him, allowing him to shape every part of your life, allowing him to shape your decisions, consulting him about things, pressing in to him. Going all in for Jesus affects the choices that you make in life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you interact with others. If you go all in for Jesus, there's, there's no two ways about it, you're all in. And when you encounter his presence, I believe that's the only correct response. Listen, we all have a part to play. When you encounter Jesus, you realize that you can't be a passenger anymore. You realize you've got to serve him. You realize that you've got gifts. You realize that you've got a part to play when you encounter him and your life is transformed. And the result of this correct response to Jesus is actually found a few verses later in Matthew 17 at the end. We didn't read it in our passage today. Um, But as the disciples head down the mountain, they have an interaction with a demon-possessed boy. All in a day's work for Jesus and his mates. They they have an interaction with a demon-possessed boy. And at the end of the interaction, we have this famous saying from Jesus where he says, let me read it to you. Um, Where are we? He says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing, get this, nothing will be impossible for you. See, the correct response to the glory of God leads to real, unshakable, radical faith. And that's the faith that Jesus says can move mountains. 
an encounter with God leads to unshakable faith. If we truly get Jesus, if we truly encounter him, if if we truly get what it means to be in his presence, then that will give us this sense of faith that can see us go out and do amazing things. And with that faith, we can do impossible things. We can see people come to know Jesus. We can see an end to poverty in our community. We can make a difference with joblessness and people who don't have hope. We can help those struggling with drug and alcohol issues. We can influence those in education and offer children a hope and a future. See, the glory of God changes us and it gives us faith, which is unshakable and powerful and we'll see amazing things happen. And it's that faith that we need if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be. Right? If this is going to be the church that God wants it to be, then we need to have that unshakable faith. We need that as individuals and we need that collectively as a church. And that's how I want to end this morning. I want to encourage you to have that faith. As you fix your eyes on the glory of God and reflect on this story, I want it to help to grow an unshakable faith in you. All right? I want it to give you that unshakable faith. I want it to increase your faith. I want God to, um, to really allow you to dream about what, might God do, what God might do through you with this new sense of faith. What might God do through you and through this church? So this is what we're going to do. I get the band up, all right? We're going to get a bit hands-on, all right? See, there's something about God revealing his presence, revealing his glory, which does lead to a response. Like, you can't hear... Uh, you can't read this passage and then do nothing, right? So this is what we're going to do. The band are going to come up and they're just going to be playing. And um, If you've got a sense today as I've been speaking that you want to know more of God, like you want to have that encounter with him, that you want to have that glimpse into his glory that the disciples saw, if you want that moment, if you want to experience his presence, then we're going to pray for you in a second, all right? It could be that you have been in church a while and, um, you know, you've had these encounters with God in the past, but things have gone a little bit stale for you. If you want a fresh encounter with him this morning, then I'm going to ask you to stand, all right? I think it's quite a common thing after lockdowns with an an online church. Like, we've come back and maybe things have gone a little bit stale for you. If you want a fresh encounter with him this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're a relatively new Christian... And you've never had that encounter with God. You've never had that moment where you've been filled with his spirit. And I'm going to ask you to stand as well. You can experience him this morning. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you in a second to stand if you'd like to be prayed for. All right? I'm expecting a lot of people to stand because who doesn't want the glory of God, right? So if you feel like you want more of him this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as a band um, play, then we're just going to pray. And we're going to ask God to come. We're going to ask his Holy Spirit to come. We're going to ask for his tangible presence to be here. We're going to ask for you to get a glimpse into his glory like the disciples got. All right? So if you want to experience more of God this morning, can I ask you to stand just where you are? Just stand. I'm going to pray for you. If you want some more of God this morning, I want to ask you to stand. It might be that you want to experience his Holy Spirit for the first time. 
It might be that you're asking God to give you some gifts. You're asking God to give you more. It might be that you want God to call you to something new. It might be that you want God to blow away some cobwebs. Things have got a bit stale. If you want more of God now, I want to ask you to stand. Lord, I thank you so much for this passage, God, and what it talks about, Lord. I thank you that it just gives such a depth and an insight about what it means to encounter you, Lord. And Lord, I just want to just pray for every person standing here, Lord. Would you just come in a fresh way, Lord, as, as we pray and welcome you, Lord. I want to pray, would you do something amazing this morning? Listen, I'm going to ask Paul to come up if that's okay. And Paul's just going to um, lead us in some ministry if that's all right.